Well, hello. <laughs> I am James. Um, I've, been, um, I've been a member of Grace Church since coming here as a student uh, in 2010. Um, I'm a member of the evening meeting for about six years uh, and married my wife here in Nottingham and uh, we lead a home group together. Alice isn't here, she's working tonight, but we, um, many of you will know her anyway. I don't need to really introduce her. Um, this summer we've been looking at a series called When Jesus Met, uh, looking at real encounters that Jesus had with people um, in some detail. Now, Jesus met a lot of people. Um, some of them are recorded in more detail than others, and we've been going through those. Tonight we're looking at when Jesus met a man called Jairus. Um, more specifically, when Jesus met Jairus' daughter and the rest of his family. It's recorded in a book written by Mark, one of Jesus' followers, um, in uh, chapter 5, verse 21. It's interrupted rudely by a lady we heard about last week uh, who was bleeding, and so we'll skip over that bit tonight um, and uh, carry on with this story. So we start at Mark chapter 5, verse 21. The words hopefully will be on the screen behind me, uh, but if you've got a Bible, uh, do turn to it yourself. So verse 21 starts with... And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged around him. Meanwhile, he was speaking there. Meanwhile, while he was speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Which is a nice rhyme. And they laughed at him. <laughs> but he put them all outside and took the, ch the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Who is this man? Whenever you have a meeting of two people, you've got a whole lifetime's worth of history in each of the person. You've got their reputation, whether they know each other or not. Maybe they've never met and they don't know anything about each other. But you have their personalities, their character, all in the melting pot as they meet together. Now, these were real people and a real meeting, just like you and I. And so, who was Jairus? Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. He was not a teacher, he wasn't a rabbi, but he was responsible for the running of the synagogue, the administration, uh, the organization. He was in charge, perhaps, of the most important part of the Jewish community. So he had status, he had a job, he had some authority, responsibility, he would have been well paid, 
And he certainly wouldn't have been scrabbling around in the dirt uh, looking for help. Jesus, on the other hand, was a rabbi. He was a teacher, somewhat controversial one by this point. He had upset people with his teaching, particularly the other teachers, and Jairus would have heard that. He was also a healer. Again, Jairus would have heard rumors of stories of healings, how Jesus has cast out demons and, and healed people. He might have even seen them firsthand, or his family might have seen them firsthand. And so Jairus approaches Jesus. The first thing he does, the first thing in the story is fascinating. He falls on the floor in front of him. Now that tells us so much about his approach towards Jesus, his posture towards Jesus, both physically and in his heart. See, this wasn't a man who would throw himself on the ground before anyone. He recognized something in Jesus worthy of worship. He recognized something of, of Jesus' person that he respected, he was in awe of, he admired. And he showed that as he kneeled on the ground before him. But he also fell to the ground in desperation. His daughter was at the point of death. He would have tried lots of different people, lots of different doctors, um, perhaps old wives' tales, things to try and get his daughter better. And none of them had worked, and now she was getting worse, and she was going to die. And so he had no other option. He fell on the floor, desperate for Jesus. He recognized his need for Jesus, and he was wanting to demonstrate it towards Jesus. I think that's, a, that's an amazing posture. And what's also amazing is how Jesus responds to it. He, follow, he goes with him. He meets with him and, and encounters him and goes with him on a journey. Jesus' response to a posture of uh, adoration and desperation is to meet with that person and to go with them. And so they start off on a journey. Big crowd around them, some excitement brewing. The word is getting out through the crowd that Jesus is off to go and find a girl who is nearly dying. Everyone knows what that means. There's going to be a healing. There's some hubbub of excitement, probably nervous anticipation would describe the mood, particularly for Jairus. He would have been um, hopefully expectant that Jesus was about to come through and, and, and do something good for him. And the crowd would have been excited. It's gossip material. It's you know, the modern-day Snapchat story. It's something that you can follow on and, and build some excitement online. And so this crowd is going on a journey towards Jairus' house. And they're interrupted by this lady, which perhaps builds the excitement, you know, another healing. Jesus is on fire. This is going well. And then someone takes Jairus out of the crowd. And the crowd would have been watching as Jesus was finishing off talking. And the mood changes. Their face is not one of excitement or expectation. Their face is one of sadness. And it's a somber mood. The word would start to, to ripple out through the crowds. The girl's dead. The girl's dead. She's died. The girl's died. And the mood would just change completely in an instant. That tension on the journey is cut. I wonder if you could have paused the scene at that point and asked the people in the crowds, who do they think Jesus is? I wonder what they'd have said. I wonder if you had asked Jairus, Jairus, who do you think Jesus is? I wonder what he would say. I wonder what you'd say if I asked you, who do you think Jesus is? If I asked you really, who do you think Jesus is? In your subconscious, who do you think Jesus is? I wonder what you'd say. 
Now, the, the mood has changed. We've gone from nervous anticipation to something quite different. Jesus hits the nail on the head. He, he, he calls Jairus and says, Jairus, do not fear. The moods had changed to fear. Let me tell you a story. A couple of years ago, um, me and my wife, Alice, went to Malawi for uh, two months. We were staying in this amazing place. We had an incredible view. And within the view, there was a mountain called Chombi Mountain. And um, the rumor was that from the top of Chombi Mountain, you had the most extraordinary view of Tanzania across Lake Malawi. And so we planned to go up Chombi Mountain at the end of the time there, so probably week six or seven, I think it was. Um, we'd got fairly comfortable with the, the villages, the people, um, the wildlife, the insects, and we had decent shoes, decent kit with us. We were ready, we were excited to go. Um, and we had met a man called Thomas, who made himself uh, very well known to us as soon as he found out we were white and from England. Um, and he knew the way to get to Tombow Mountain, more importantly. Um, and he also had a good reputation for knowing how to get to Tombow Mountain. He had done it before. Um, and he charged a very reasonable fee. So uh, we agreed, uh, we paid him, and uh, we set off. On the, uh, during the time in Malawi, we kept a journal of um, each day. Let me read to you how the journey up Chombi Mountain went. Um, it starts off all right, and then you'll notice halfway through it changes. <laughs> we packed our bags and set off. Thomas led off down the paths, stopping every so often for sometimes lengthy chats with literally everybody. <laughs> but we were on our way. <laughs> a very steep and tall grassy descent, and a rather undulating, narrow, unclear, and poorly trodden path through the Malawian bush. Soon we got onto a dirt road, which was easy walking and time to enjoy the view. Two hours later, and a walk through many villages, we arrived at the foot of Chombi Mountain. Here's where it changes. We started climbing, and it soon became clear it wasn't going to be pleasant. Long grass, lots of biting insects, lots of spiky plants. We couldn't see our feet as much as we'd like to, and we constantly assumed a snake was about to get us and it was very, very steep and very, very hot. To our relief and surprise, we made it to the top and were met by the most awesome view. It was almost worth it. <laughs> Sorry, the exchange rate to Malawian cracks is pretty good. Um, Alice describes this walk as genuinely the closest thing she's ever come to death. And that's not a, that's not a joke. She, you ask her, she will absolutely tell you that this is the closest she thinks she's ever been to death. Um, I'm probably a little bit less dramatic than that. I think it was, it was pretty unpleasant, though. I wouldn't want to do it again. Um, I didn't enjoy that walk up Chombe. So why was it that we experienced fear in that climb? Why was that our emotion of fear? You see, we set out having, uh, with a need from Thomas. We needed him to show us the way to get to the top of Chombi Mountain. We thought we had all the rest of what we needed covered. He was just there as a guide. But as we got to the bottom of Chombi and started climbing, what we needed from Thomas changed drastically. Suddenly, we needed Thomas to provide us with emergency medicine, have every snake anti-venom in southern Africa, have a gun, a knife, and an emergency evacuation helicopter. <laughs> but Thomas didn't even bring water. <laughs> and so 
we felt fear. What we needed from Thomas and what Thomas was able to provide from us did not match up at all. And so we felt fear. In the same way, what Jairus needed from Jesus and what he thought Jesus could provide didn't match up. See, up until this point, he needed from Jesus a healing, and he thought Jesus could provide a healing. But it changed. Now his daughter was dead. He didn't think Jesus could provide for him, and so he felt fear. Several months ago, Duncan was preaching and put it so well, so I'll quote him. He said, fear, fear is the result of misplaced hope. Fear is the result of misplaced hope. I think that really nicely describes why Jairus was feeling fear. He was worried that his hope had been misplaced in Jesus. So based on what Jairus knew of Jesus at the start of this meeting, he came to Jesus with a faith level. He approached Jesus with faith, postured himself really nicely. But something changed and his faith level was surpassed. See, we all have a limit to our faith. We all have a limit to what we think Jesus can do for us. I wonder what yours is. I wonder where the limit of your faith lies. I think quite often it's insidious. I think, you know, things that we just learn to cope with, habits that we just deal with, circumstances that we just cope with. We have mechanisms to numb the pain, like Alex touched on last week. Do we really believe that Jesus can come through on those things, can deliver us from those circumstances? What about physical things, healing? Do we really believe that Jesus can heal? Where's your faith limit? Do, does anyone here really fully have faith that Jesus can raise someone from the dead? I think we all have a limit to our faith. The challenge is, does that come from our knowledge of who Jesus is? Once we recognize that limit in our faith, who do we really think Jesus is? Another one of Jesus' followers, called John, describes Jesus at the start of his uh, account of his life. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John talking about Jesus makes it very clear that Jesus is both God and the source of all physical life. Now, we have the, the joy of hindsight and being able to see that. We can read that in the gospel, but Jairus couldn't. He didn't know that Jesus was God. He didn't know that Jesus was the source of all physical life. Can you imagine how his faith level would have been different if he had known that Jesus was the source of all physical life? How he would have reacted to the news of his daughter dying if he had known that Jesus was the source of all physical life. And so Jesus tells Jairus to believe. Do not fear, just believe. And they start off on their journey again. And so we've got Jesus, who is the source of all physical life, on a journey towards a house which is held captive by death. A daughter who is um, in the grasps of death, and Jesus, the source of all life, is walking towards the house. There's about to be a meeting. There's about to be a clash of kingdoms. Where the kingdom of life meets the kingdom of death. Where death 
man's greatest enemy has its comeuppance. And you might sit here and think, that's not still man's greatest enemy. It is. Death is still man's greatest enemy. We are very good at looking after sick people. We're very good at bringing people back from the brink of death. But once someone's died, there's very little we can do. Man, death still has a hold on society of, of fear. Jesus, the source of all life, is walking towards man's greatest enemy. From a distance, he sees the commotion. They've already started the funeral preparations. They've already employed the, the professional mourners to make a scene, to make a fuss, to try and numb the pain. Jesus comes into the house, and such is his confidence in his authority over the situation. He describes the girl as being like she's asleep. That's not a diagnosis. This girl is dead. But it's a statement of confidence of, it's like she's asleep. Such is my father's ability to give her new life. It's like she's asleep. And he's mocked, and he's laughed at, and he faces opposition. Can you believe it? The source of all life coming into a, a situation of death faces opposition, is mocked and laughed at by the people who are held by their greatest enemy. You just, you wouldn't expect it. But you see it in, in your own life, even in the simplest of circumstances. You're, like, you're at the bar with, with friends who, who like to get drunk, and they're drinking fourth, fifth drink, and you'll stop. How many of us have been teased for that? Been teased for not drinking, not joining in, in the simplest of, of circumstances? You know, we're, we're acting in a way that is, is good and right and, and godly in the face of darkness, and yet we face mock, being mocked for it. We face discouragement you know, and pushback. It's encouraging to know that Jesus had the same uh, discouragement, isn't it? That as he walked towards this situation, you know, these people were being held by their greatest enemy. Here was their savior. <laughs> and they just discouraged him and, and pushed him back. Anyway, he soldiers on. He gets to the girl's room with Jairus and his wife and some of his followers. And he takes the girl by the hands and he says to her, Arise. And her heart starts beating. And she starts breathing. She's raised back to life. Can you imagine the, the whirlwind of emotions in that room? The, the scene would have been incredible. I'd have loved to have known Jairus' thoughts. I wonder if one of them suddenly was the memory of what Jesus had said to him further down the road, of just believe. You see, just believe is a bit of a hollow encouragement. It doesn't really have any weight to it. It's nice to hear, just believe. But it doesn't really mean much. If I said to you, just believe in me, you'd laugh, nice. It doesn't really have much weight to it until Jesus raises his daughter from the dead. Suddenly, just believe carries a lot of weight. Suddenly, I've got something to believe in. Suddenly, there's something to put my hope in. Suddenly, that kind of encouragement of, don't worry, your hope's not misplaced in me, is underpinned by his authority over death as Jesus raises the little girl back to life. In the same way, Jesus shows his authority over death through his crucifixion and resurrection. As he died and was raised to new life, he demonstrates absolute authority over death. 
And so our hope in him is not in vain. It is not a nice encouragement. It is underpinned by action, by absolute truth that Jesus has authority over death. We can be certain that our hope is not misplaced in Jesus who has authority over death. We can be confident absolutely that Jesus can deliver us from our greatest enemy, death. Hannah and the band, do you want to come up? There's an invitation here, I think, in this passage to go deeper in our knowledge of who Jesus is, deeper in our relationship with Jesus, to posture ourselves like Jairus did in adoration of Jesus and recognition of, of what he can do, to expect a meeting as we heard in our worship time, to expect to meet Jesus. And as he does, and as we see more of him, we see our faith level rise. We see what we can expect of Jesus go up. We see our circumstances in our life shrink away. We see that our hope is not in vain. We see that he really is who he says he is. We're going to sing a song now. I want to encourage us to posture ourselves like Jairus did. Come expectant that Jesus will meet with us. And we'll see what we can do.